This week on the Road to Cinema podcast, director Kathy Carlson on her new documentary, Everybody Has an Andy Dick Story, which you can learn more about on everybodyhasanandydickstory.com. The film features candid interviews with Ben Stiller, Kathy Griffin, Nick Swartzen, Polly Shore, Moby, Sherry Shepard, Steve-O, and many more friends of Andy Dick who all share hilarious, crazy, and heartfelt stories about the talented and infamous comedic performer Andy Dick. Director Kathy Carlson shares with us how her friendship with Andy developed back in college and how she made this film over a five-year period and kept the secret from Andy Dick, who had no idea she was making the film. For more information on the Road to Cinema podcast, please visit jogroadproductions.com. You can follow us on Twitter at jogroad, Instagram at jogroadproductions, like our Jog Road Productions Facebook page, and you can also subscribe to Jog Road Productions on YouTube to see some of our video interviews with Don Cheadle, Hewan McGregor, Greta Gerwig, and many more. Subscribe to the Road to Cinema podcast on iTunes and write us a nice review on the iTunes podcast page under the Road to Cinema podcast. And now we join director Kathy Carlson as we learn all about her new documentary, Everybody Has an Andy Dick Story, which you can learn more about at everybodyhasanandydickstory.com. So I thought to get started, we could mm-hmm. talk a little bit about how you met Andy Dick. I believe your relationship goes all the way back to college. We went to the University of Illinois together. Um, and so I think I, I think I met him in an improv class that we had together. And then we just started performing together. And then I've known him ever since. Wow. So it's been a long time. It was like 1983. Maybe, 19, yeah, 1984, 83 or 84. What were your memories of Andy back then? I mean, was he pursuing a career as, a, as an actor or comedian at that point? Did, did he have sort of yeah. big aspirations that he talked with you about? I think it was kind of like getting struck by lightning when I met Andy Dick. It's, it would be the same today if anybody <laughs> met him, you know? Like, he is exactly the same person today as he was back then, only maybe a little bit more naive a little because he didn't know much about the business you know like he didn't have a jaded side to him like fuck this town (laughs) which is one of his positive attributes I think you know because he just doesn't really care but he I he was just mesmerizing and because you just knew the minute you met him you're like what what is this who is this person and everything he did was different than what anybody else was doing and just talking to him having a conversation with him you're like he's the funniest person i've ever met and he wasn't trying to be and he didn't drink he didn't do any kind of drugs you couldn't get him to do it he was just you know fascinating he's like a five-year-old kid that was like had a car and could go do whatever he wanted to do and mesmerized by everything and now you add a ton of drugs and alcohol to that he's the same guy really Uh, did you watch him perform while you were at school? Was he in stage shows or, or doing improv classes or anything? Yeah, he. Um, we did a sketch or like a play that was highly improvised, but um, Tim Marbach was the director and he like loosely wrote out the outline of this play that he wanted to, for all of us to perform in. And we all just improvised and filled in the spaces and that was the first time that I ever actually, like saw him perform was when I was working with him. Wow. And um, it's just, you know, he's, he's really finely tuned comedically. And I, he just, it's in his DNA. I think yeah. he's one of the best performers I've ever seen in my life. 
I think he's so fast. I think that's what makes a lot of comedians really stand mm -hmm. out and have that quality that, you know, we really respond to. I mean, he's yeah. so quick. You can respond to anybody on the spot and you see that in the films, you see that when he performs live. Yeah, and you know, I think I I think I always like to describe Andy as kind of like a heat seeking missile to what the white elephant in the room. Like he'll size up a room and instantly know where he wants to irritate someone or talk to somebody. It's just he's I don't know, maybe he he just is so I don't know what is the word I'm looking for, like electric, you know, and nothing gets past him. He just takes it all in and then Yeah. He picks up on anything and just responds to it right there. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well you you're a fan, yeah? Yeah. How long have you been a fan of his? Uh, since news radio. I remember oh. watching him when I was in elementary school, middle school on that show. It was oh, wow. uh, I mean that show was, you know, Phil Hartman and Dave Foley and Maurice Ernie. You know, it was a great cast, and his character always stole every scene. Yeah, he can be on screen for two seconds, and that movie's going to be Andy's, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah, he's fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then, in terms of your friendship, I mean, did you guys stay in touch after college? Uh, yeah, I mean, we went both went to Chicago together after that, and then I moved to New York, and he moved to L.A., and... We stayed loosely in touch. Um, I got married in that time frame, and I spent my honeymoon, my first night of my honeymoon with Andy Dick, <laughs> <laughs> which is not as shady as it sounds. Was that just by accident? He was just around at the time? Uh, I, was, I had moved to San Francisco after that, and we were flying down to L.A. to go to Hawaii for our honeymoon. He's like, you have to come and stay with me. So... We came down here and stayed with Andy the first night and then flew to Hawaii the next day. He, like, took us to the airport. I'm sure he wouldn't do that for anybody today, but he was then, you know. Yeah. And I met his girlfriend, um, Lena, then. They've been, they've been off and on for a while. They've known each other for so long. They have two kids together. and um, So then I ended up living with... Then I got divorced and ended up living with Andy. Really? And his... Andy and Yvonne was his ex-wife, and they lived upstairs with their son Lucas. And then I lived downstairs with his ex-girlfriend and Jacob, their, their two-year-old son, and she was pregnant with their daughter. So it was this... I mean, talk about blowing your mind open to experiences. It was one of those things where you would think it would be so chaotic that you couldn't deal with it, but... Everyone communicated so well, and there it, it seemed to me like there was no drama in the house. There were a lot of things happening 24 hours a day, but everyone just got on with it, you know? And um, I told Andy, I'm like, that was one of the best times I've ever had in my life is when we all lived together. And he's like, that was one of the worst times of my life. He goes, not because you were there. Maybe because you were there. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, so we lived together, and it was just... Um, it was kind of incredible just seeing all the things that he did in his like everyday life. It got away with and nobody ever found out about. And then the internet happened. <laughs> uh, that was before TMZ and all yeah, that. Yeah, it was so. while he was on news radio. Uh, um, and I think, you know, shortly after that, everyone started getting computers and getting the internet. God, it feels like I'm a hundred. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, it was kind of crazy. I thought, how? Because you always hear these stories about celebrities, and I thought, well, actually, you can probably do anything and get away with it, because Andy gets away with so much, and nobody ever talks about it. Yeah. 
but I guess he just wasn't on their radar. Yeah, it was just a different culture at that time. I mean, there yeah. was, you know, entertainment reporting on television and yeah. you had like tabloid magazines and supermarkets, but now people have access to information and it spreads so quickly. Yeah, I think Andy decided he was going to be the king of that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I was curious, how did you come about, you know, with this idea for the film? Well, do you know, I bet you've walked, like, hung out with a group of people before and people just start randomly talking about Andy Dick. Everywhere I went, people would just randomly start saying, I went out in L.A. last night. Yeah. I started doing this movies because just after knowing him for so long, it just, I was kind of surprised at how often people would come up to me and just start talking about Andy Dick. People I didn't know, people that didn't know I knew him, and I thought, you know, I'm pretty sure that everybody in this town has a story about him at this point. Yeah. And so I loved I loved Everybody Has an Andy Dick Story as a title. So I just bought a bunch of film equipment and then picked up the phone and started calling people. And I said, I'm doing a documentary and I want you in it. They're like, really? What? What is it? What's it called? And I told them and they just laughed and they said, what time do you want to come over? You can you know, <laughs> film me. So I filmed like over 120 people and I just couldn't How use How long everybody. ago did, did he begin? 2010 wow. I started so that's amazing so you just you know took it upon yourself you got equipment video equipment audio yes. equipment you just started yeah I got I did and I I probably should have gone to film school or I probably should have read the booklet on my <laughs> camera because <laughs> you saw the movie so you know it's a, there's a couple things that are kind of blurry that couldn't be fixed in post and I mean I didn't really know what I was doing but I actually didn't really care I thought if Blair Witch Project can make a movie yeah. Those guys just kind of, you know, grabbed a camera. At the end it. of the day, it's the content that matters the most. Yeah, exactly. And so I f just kept filming. I filmed somebody every day for so long. And then I figured out as like, I would remember every interview. And so like one person would start an interview and then somebody else kind of had the same story. And the stories would start connecting as yeah. you've seen the film. It just happened so often. Like I, there's a Ben Stiller and Nick Swartzen are talking about this one um little sketch they did on the Ben Stiller show where Andy said this word like where's the where's the fire like I don't know why that stuck with them so much but Nick brought it up and then when I went to film Ben Stiller he just randomly brought it up and since I remembered it out you know and I'm connecting yeah. the dots it was really fun to kind of put this movie together like that so is that very key in the process for you to sort of go through the different interviews and see how one would connect to the other or even you know uh, you know, sort of think back mm -hmm. to how one story connects with another story? Yeah, I, it was important to me that that was a part of this documentary because I like watching movies when those kinds of things happen. And um, it's, it's kind of like, it was almost like writing a stand-up show in a lot of respects, you know? So some were callbacks and one person would do a setup and the other person would do the punchline for it. And there was a lot of that synergy happening with it. But... I never forgot anything anybody said in an interview, so it just kind of always, as soon as like Ben Stiller said the same thing Nick Swartzen did, I, I just highlighted those on the transcripts yeah. and then just put it in my notes, you know, and put them together. When did you start editing? Were you editing during that time as you were collecting the interviews at all? No, I, I didn't start editing for a couple of years. I would just film and I was looking for editors. So you were filming and then just taking notes as far as how you saw a different connective tissue in there? 
Yeah, I I just every time I got done with an interview, I would go home and I would transcribe every probably like it was so stupid to transcribe them like I did, but like every uh every ellipses like dot dot everything was just it was painstaking getting all these interviews down, but I knew that later when I found an editor that I could just, you know, here's the time codes and here's this goes with this and it that preparation made it a little bit easier when we started editing. Uh, did, did the style of the film develop over time? So did you know that you were going to you know, primarily be using interviews and connecting the stories together? Yeah, I, I was pretty sure that's the only thing that this documentary was going to be. I was pretty sure it was just going to be talking heads with no clips at all. But I got advice <laughs> to the contrary that said you can't do it that way. People won't watch it. And, you know, if I... if if I wasn't so lucky that I wasn't given a ton of footage, you know, to be able to put in there, I don't know how hard I would have fought to, like, find it. You know, I mean, we had a ton of footage off of the internet that we would use when we were building sizzle reels and everything just to put it in there to get a feel for what the movie could look like. But I thought Andy was so interesting that people would just sit and listen to people talking about him. When you're at a party and you're talking about somebody crazy, People listen to each other, right? Yeah. You don't have to have like people performing video. And you're using your imagination, it. thinking about the story, and it creates a, a picture in your head. Yeah, it's almost like reading for people who still know how to do that. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> but that was always the the key, the thing I wanted was to have one person starting a story and then the other person like filling in and going back and forth, so that so that the characters talked to each other and built the story along the way. That was always the goal. Now, what's interesting is that. Andy Dick was unaware that you were making this film. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, did you ever at any point think, well, maybe I should talk with him about it? Or no. no. Oh God, no! <laughs> I knew that if I told him about this, it would go off a cliff. Or did so you ever fast. even think the opposite? You know, let's start off by approaching him and then take it from there. Yeah. No, I think because I know him so well, he likes. Of course, he likes to control everything. It's his life. It's his career. It's his reputation. I just trusted that he would be flattered with the end product and that I wouldn't have to worry about it too much. Uh, But if he knew about it, he would try to control it and it (laughs) just never would have happened. Well, knowing, I mean, was it easy to get everybody to participate in the film? I mean, you have Ben Stiller, Kathy Griffin, Nick Mm -hmm. Swartzen, you know, so many people that have been a part of Andy's life. Yeah, I had, I, I'm probably um, never going to be able to make anything as easy as this was to make ever again because I'm shocked how quickly people said yes to this. I mean, I knew people loved Andy because he really is a great guy. Um, His reputation is, there's truth to it, but there's so much more to him and everyone who knows him well knows that. And so I thought, you know, Dana Gould, he... I know him, and so he said, yeah, I'll do it. And then he said, you need Kathy Griffin. So he got Kathy Griffin for me. And Kathy Griffin was amazing because she, you know, she's professional, so she wants to do hair and makeup. She's the only, like, there's only a couple people that wanted hair and makeup and or were in it already and let me come to the set or let me come in between something they were doing and film them. She's like, is there, is there money for hair and makeup? And I'm like, uh, well... 
for, for you, yes, I'll do it. You know what I mean? Like there isn't for anybody else, but I'll do it. She goes, no, 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 forget it. She goes, um, just show up here. I'm doing, I'm doing an interview at one o'clock and then I've got one at four. So just show up here in between that time and, and I'll already be made up. Oh, that's wonderful. She, Very generous. You know, it was, I think people bent over backwards, but I think n- there's a lot of people in this movie that were like, how can I help you make this happen? And that's a testament to Andy. And, and maybe people wanting to see something done that was a little different because, you know, it's a positive, it's kind of a love story. Yeah, and you learn so much about Andy in the movie in terms of his, mm-hmm. you know, you were mentioning before, his generosity uh-huh. and, you know, his good nature of a, as a person. You know, I think there's so much negativity out mm-hmm. there about him that who he is doesn't really come to the surface very often. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the one part where I thought, oh, I'm portraying him because, you know, he's in control of his reputation and he yeah. likes being in control of it. So the last thing Andy Dick wants you to think is that he's a great guy. <laughs> <laughs> because he's this artist who is who lives on the edge and every second of his life is some, like, new experience that he wants to have. So he doesn't want to be somebody who everyone thinks is reliable and dependable. and So he embraces the persona in a way, the sort of wild craziness? So oh, he... he created every second of it. He loves playing with the media like that, you know, and, and getting covered for every crazy thing that he does. Yeah, and he, he doesn't really want you to see that softer side of him. And that, that was the biggest concern that I had. I was like, oh, he's not going to, he's not going to, like this part very much so when i interviewed people i just said look this is a love story for andy dick and um it's all positive so this is what i plan on doing like great great come on over and i would go there and i would set up the camera and they would talk about how much they loved andy dick and then they said do you mind if i tell this one story (laughs) (laughs) and then that's when it started the pandora's box starts opening up and and there's like these interviews are like over an hour long with most people so watching Ben Stiller in the film he seemed so open and you know you could tell that him and Andy had such a close working relationship Mm -hmm. and he really had such a great respect for Andy as a performer as an artist yeah I thought you know I never knew how Ben would react to something like this I didn't even know how to get to Ben it was very difficult because agents and managers they're not interested in this there's you know it's a movie about Andy Dick when they, do they really want their client like dragged through the mud with someone with this reputation, right? So I thought, I can't go through them. I tried it a couple of times, and they just never returned my calls, whoever it was. And I was having such good luck with going like with someone I knew who was a friend, and then they had a friend, and it was really all referrals. And then a good friend of mine, I've known her as long as I've known Andy. Her name is Cynthia Levin, and she is good friends with Amy Stiller, and I'm like, does Amy have stories? And she goes, yeah, Amy's known him forever. And I said, great, I want, I want Amy to see the sizzle reel and if she wants to be in it, then I want her in it. And so she watched it and she said she loved it and then she offered to get it to Ben, wow. which was great. And so I got Ben through his sister and Amy's amazing. She's hilarious herself and she's known Andy for so long and they're tight, they're pretty close. And so Ben's assistant just, stayed in touch with me for like, I don't know, it was like a year trying to arrange a time to film. But I was doing editing at that time anyway and filming other people still. So, you know, you just, you wait for the, for the ones that are busy. And then I flew to a place where I'm not supposed to say where I was because <laughs> I wasn't supposed to be on the set of 
this thing that he was doing. And I remember the, the exec producer came over and he goes, so you're Katie, huh? And I went, I'm Kathy. It's okay. <laughs> and, he, and he just said, so this is movies about Andy Dick? And I went, it is. And he goes, good luck. And he walked away. And I just started laughing. <laughs> and then Ben comes over and he's like, I'm so sorry. I only have a little bit of time. And he grabs my hand and he shakes it. He's completely personable. He's like, is this okay what I'm wearing? He said, I'm sorry, I'm in shorts. I'm like, I'm not going to, it's just a shirt. It doesn't matter. And um, he just couldn't have been more open and more giving. You don't know how people are going to be. I've never met him. I didn't go through the proper channels. He knew I'd never made a documentary before. He just loved Andy so much. He's like, yes, no brainer, I'm in. Isn't that great? That's incredible because, you know, people, you know, Andy has this negative reputation in the press, but, you know, really behind all of that, he is so creative. Mm -hmm. He is, you know, a kind person and people who know him respect him in that way. Yeah, and, and you know, you also, we all have Andy Dick stories too. You have this, you have those yeah. moments where he's been great, and then moments where you're like, oh boy, here we go, here we go again. But he's, you know, he's exciting as a human being, and, and everyone loves him so much, and they were happy to do it. Now, in terms of uh, putting the film together and mm-hmm. then incorporating Andy watching the film into the film, so yeah, that was tricky. So first, you 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 made the entire film itself. I made a, a version of the film. It was like an hour. I think it was maybe a little over an hour. It's like a rough cut in a way. Yeah. Um, it was as good as I could get it um, at that point. Because um, there were um, a great editor. He's also a director, so he really knows what he's doing. He's fast and he's creative. And we had a really good time putting so much of this together. And, you know, the exec producer, the 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 guy who financed the movie he um he had huge concerns like what if you don't get Andy to sign off on this what if you can't get him to watch the movie and he doesn't know him so he only knows his reputation and I went don't worry about it I'll get him I'll get him I didn't know for sure that I was going to get him I mean five years I'm every time I see Andy I like walk into a room I'm like hey Andy what's up I knew that he would just rip into me if he heard about it from anybody because then he would say, what are you doing? He's like, I want to see it. You're doing a movie about me. I'm but surprised, too, that nobody that you interviewed for the film yeah. uh, leaked the information to him over that five-year span of time. Isn't that great? Yeah. I mean, I, I chose carefully. I didn't go inner, inner circle because I know his family. So I stayed away from the core because they're very protective of him. And until they actually could see the product, I know that they just wouldn't trust that it was going to be good and that it would be flattering. So... I couldn't tell, you know, the girlfriends or the wives or the boyfriends or the kids. I couldn't tell any of those people. And there was only one person who's really close to Andy that I could tell, and he promised he wouldn't say anything. Um, and that was Dino Stamatopoulos. Do you know Dino? Yeah, who they do the, uh, the podcast yeah. with. Yeah. yeah. So Dino knew, and he kept it quiet. Um, so I just kept checking in with Andy. Like I, I'm like, oh, God, I'm running into Andy everywhere. And I just would, I would know with that one look. You know what I mean? <laughs> I would know. But he never let on. And the whole time I was felt like, oh, God, I feel like, feel like I'm doing something so sneaky. And I was. And then when I told him about him, I actually lied to him because I, I wanted to invite him to the screening um, 
to, to watch a movie, but I didn't want to tell him what it was. So I had to make up this elaborate lie. So I met him. It was like Oscar Sunday, and it was kid his son's birthday, and I was went to the surprise party, and and so um, I had lunch with them, and then I said, um, you know what, Andy? I know I'm not going to ask you again. I know you said. You didn't want to do my movie, and I respect that. I'm not, I asked you three times, I promised you I'd never ask you again, so I'm not going to. I go, but it's just a shame that you um, aren't gonna do it, because it's gonna be announced in Variety on Thursday. I'd love to be able to say, oh, Andy Dick's in the movie, and he goes, what? He's like, you're doing a movie? I'm like, yeah, I, I'm sorry, I told I wouldn't bring it up. He goes, no, I didn't know this. He goes, why didn't you tell me about it? I go, I did, I asked you to be in it like three times. And he goes, oh, was I drinking? And I went, yeah. And he goes, I'm sorry, tell me what it's about. So I made up a huge lie about what it was about. And he goes, I want to be in this movie. He goes, number one, because I want to help you. And number two, because I want to be in it. And he goes, no, that's not true. And number one, because I want to be in it. And number two, because I want to help you. <laughs> and so I said, bring the family. I would love for them to see it too. Because I wanted him to be surrounded by people that loved him in case he felt ambushed, you know. So then I had to track him down and chase him down and like he said he'd be there and then I couldn't get in touch with him and I had a screening room and I had all these cameras set up and then it finally worked out anyway. And that was always your conception to film him watching the movie Since it, yeah, integrate that into the film. Yeah, because I knew that he would drive it off a cliff if he knew ahead of time, but I wanted people to like, I expected him to heckle the whole movie. I wanted like all these reactions of like, that didn't happen, I did not, you know, I wanted him to kind of like mystery science theater, that was the whole goal, but he was in such shock and he was sober that he just watched it and like laughed at it and he said a few things here and there. I mean, you saw it, the, the places where we put him in were kind of important and really fun and it was fun to see him react to hearing about his life and yeah, so then it just went back to the editor and edited his stuff in um and, and he was happy with it he signed off on the movie and he no. was no <laughs> no <laughs> Wasn't nope. That easy. <laughs> nope a year and a half later i'm still waiting for i was still waiting for the release form to be signed from andy <laughs> he's like i gotta help you with this you need this person why didn't you get these people why didn't you call me and so then i filmed him saying that he approved of uh, that he liked the movie and that he he wanted more of these people in it and he named some names so then I sent that little video out to people to try to get in a few more people that he wanted and then I re-edited it um, like added those people and then the movie like expanded to two hours and they had to shrink it down to an hour like so many people that I wanted it in and I couldn't do it because it, you just can't have a three-hour documentary uh -huh. but yeah so then the whole time I just had the release form in my purse and everywhere I went I'm I'm like, is today the day? He's like, not yet. <laughs> so you're still waiting on that. No, I got it. Oh, you did get it. Okay. I finally got you it. It took a it. year and a half. Um, he was in a sober living house in Malibu. And I just said, you know, I'm going to bring you a present and I'm going to show you the new movie on my phone. So I went up there and I waited an hour for him to come down for his room. <laughs> and then he came down and he was in a bad mood and we sat down and he watched it on my phone and then... Then he started laughing. He goes, I'll sign it. He didn't even watch the whole movie. He didn't even see the whole movie. And so it was like, I, I just, as soon as I left there, I like took a picture of the release form in case I got in an accident. <laughs> Someone, <laughs> I'm like, we've got it. We can do it. And then I went to the editor and then we, we put it in. And 
And then we have the finished version that you saw. And you know, this is your, your first film. Yeah. I'm just curious, what are some of the things you learned on this film that you would carry over into another one? Um, well, I will do the same format because I started. I did start filming three more of these because the the intention is docu series. Oh, so you're in production on three other in similar style. This yeah, one. yeah. Just going to people with the camera and and then letting them talk and you know, there's a lot of jump cuts in this movie. You know, did you notice that? Do you notice well, jump I, cuts? I thought it was sort of part of the style. Was that intentional? Well, yeah, but because I didn't want. What I like is just let people talk freely and let me work it out in the edit room instead of having them rephrase it because it, when people rephrase things, it's not as honest or as raw. It as comes it out is. a little bit mechanical. Yeah. At times. Yeah. Yeah, because then they hear themselves say it and then they repeat it. It's like not quite as exciting. And um, the exec producer has done a lot of TV shows, and he said, you know, the ear will deceive you before long before the eye does. So it doesn't matter what it looks like if the story follows with your ear people will go along with it so I don't know how many people will think that you know it, it bugs them when they're watching because there's a lot of jump cuts but I just didn't want there to be any fat on it I wanted it to move quickly and um, I mean I guess in some respects some people were saying like how do you know it's truthful that they really said what they said but you can tell it's real and it's honest and raw and you just have to move it along you can't leave pauses in there yeah no, I, I think it works with this whole style of the film. It has a good energy to it. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I feel like we we worked really hard on that. I mean, look, Randy Redroads. The at one point, Randy, like we argued about this in the very beginning. He said nobody is going to watch this with all these jump cuts. He goes, I'm a professional, <laughs> and he goes, he goes, I'll do this for you, but I'm taking my name off of it. He goes, so you put an alias up there for me. And then we kind of split ways for a couple of years while another production company like came in and tried to take it over and they tried to edit it and then like didn't work. And then Randy came back around and he said, you know, I've been thinking and I've changed my mind and it's really grown on me and I love this project and I, I think it's really fun and I, I want to finish it. So we started all over again from the beginning. Oh, and so you, you just dropped everything that you had done originally and just started well, from scratch? We used what he and I had done, but then this production, when this production came in, company came in and did something, we had to, we had to just ditch it and go mm -hmm. back to what we were doing. And then we had to build the rest of the movie and kind of like rebuild it. You write it when you're editing, when it's a documentary, right? So, yeah. uh, but now I think there's a, a format to it. It's now it's simple to look at it and know how to do it. But boy, learning how to do it, I think I would sit behind him at the edit board sometimes and just like look up into the sky and go, what, how, how is this ever going to happen? You know, but he took the best of what I gave him and, um, he used the best of what he had and, and the finished product is I'm happy with it. And I've seen it over a hundred times by now. What was it like seeing it with an audience uh, for the first time? That was fun. That was fun. That was, um, there'll be another screening actually. I think um, there's going to be one, what is Chi the Chinese theater called again? Oh, the uh, TCL yeah. Chinese theater? Yeah, I'm looking so, to try to hold another screening. I think screen there's like a multiplex above mm -hmm. there. Yeah. I'm looking to do a screening there, so I just last week looked into it. Um, but it was great because Andy was there and he heckled the whole movie like I wanted him to do. <laughs> It was such an incredible experience because it was a very small room. There's like 100 people, I think, maybe not even that many. 
And um, was this at a film festival? Or yeah, was it? Okay. it was the the premiere of the this first time it's ever been shown. It was at the L.A. Comedy Festival, and um, Andy came in and sat down, and the movie starts, and and he just boom, just start every single thing that happened. He was heckling it, and everyone's looking at me like, "Are you okay with this?" I'm like. I couldn't ask for anything more exciting than to have. I spent seven years of my life making a movie about you, and you're sitting here like <laughs> making fun of it. And that's kind of how it's supposed to go, you know? It's just supposed to be fun, and it was great. It was a good night. It was really fun watching it with people laughing so much. I, um, but, you know, I went, then I did the Harlem Film Festival, and people were just intensely watching it. You know, it was a smaller audience, and... And they were just watching it, and I thought, oh, do they hate it? Or, but then people came up to me afterwards and told me how much they loved it, and and wanted to try to help me get it into other places. And then it was in San Francisco a couple weeks ago, and it was a small audience again, but people were laughing, and it was a small audience. So I guess it's kind of different every time you show it somewhere. Yeah. What is the uh, the process like? You know, finishing the film and trying to sell it and trying to get it out to festivals is that a whole different animal than putting the film together? Yeah, I thought it was going to be over once I was done filming it, and I had no idea. It's just getting started. <laughs> <laughs> so Rob Cohen, who's in the movie, said to me all along, you've got to do festivals. You've got to do festivals. And I, I didn't think I was going to, but then I just got really pissed off about something, and I'm like, fuck this. Can I say that? Oh, yeah. You're good. <laughs> say whatever you want. <laughs> I'm like, fuck this. I'm doing festivals. And so I just sat in front of the computer for like a day and a half and found all the ones I wanted to enter, and just started entering them and got some big rejections right away. But then when you get the first acceptance, then it kind of like, oh, I can breathe. And now it's getting into some good festivals. It's going to Montreal. Wow. It's going to Montreal just for last festival. Oh, that's a big comedy festival. Yeah. It's the biggest one in the world, I think, yeah. for comedy. So I'm kind of thrilled about that. Something else I learned from the film, which I think is interesting, is that uh, Andy Dick was supposed to be Mugatu in Zoolander. Yeah. That was uh, the, the Will Ferrell role that we all know now. Mm-hmm. And he had created that character, I think, for a VH1 special? Yeah. Yeah, Joel Gallen um, was so kind. He gave me a lot of those clips. And so I got to put them in the movie. And then I just called later to get, you know, to get clearance on them. But he's the one that told the story about how Ben Stiller and Drake say they're, they they wrote this um, sketch for VH1 for Andy, and they performed it, and it was a huge hit. And so then Drake's like, I'm going to write a script for this. So he wrote the first Zoolander, and he wrote it for Andy and Ben. And then Andy couldn't get out of, I think he was in Go Fish. Mm. <laughs> it like didn't even air that long. But he... He just couldn't do it because he was on news. Or he was on Get Smart at one point. That was in the movie too. Like he was, he was doing Get Smart, and then news radio came along and they offered it to him. And Andy's like, "Yeah, I'll take it." Like totally not knowing Hollywood etiquette. Like what? I can't leave one show to go to another show. He's like, "Why not? This Hollywood. I'm not going to stay on. You know, I like this show better, so I'm going." Well, he got. In a, I think he got in a lot of trouble for doing that. So. You get a bad reputation, and no one's going to hire you if you're, you're just going to quit when a show is like not even on the air yet or getting ready to air. So I think he was advised that it would be a bad thing. He'd have a bad reputation if he left this go fish thing to do Zoolander if they needed him. And now, but you know, can you imagine? Yeah, I mean, he had a little cameo, I think, in Zoolander. Was he the masseuse? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. 
Ben always tries to throw him something. Yeah, and then going back, they had that relationship on the Ben Stiller show where Jeff uh-huh. Apatow was a writer, and I think mm-hmm. even uh, Dino, was he a writer on that too? I think so, yeah. yeah. I think he was. Yeah, I mean, that was shock. I didn't know that that's what had happened with Zoolander. It was kind of shocking, actually. So, But, you know, Andy's, I mean, I don't think he's anywhere close to being done yet. I think he's got so much life in him and so much like creativity in him that we haven't seen the last of what he's capable of doing. I mean, I hope the Andy Dick show comes back on the air. I think th- I hope that they like just put that back on the way it was filmed because it, it still holds up. It's still really funny. Yeah, watching some of the sketches that you you know you display in the film, uh-huh. really innovative style he had, and yeah, uh, the, the, there's a great one with uh, George Bush. Yeah, it's featured in there. Yeah, could be do- he could do that today. Oh, 100%. <laughs> he could do that with anybody and, you know, the president, the vice president, you know, governors. He he could he he's a great political And the Andy Dick show commentary. He, he wrote, produced and directed that? Yep. Wow. And Joel, I think Joel Gallen again worked on that um, that George Bush thing. I think that was for uh, I forget. Oh, I should know. I should know because I did the credits on it. It was for something on Comedy Central that that sketch was done. But, yeah, I mean, if, if anybody out there can write Comedy Central, say we want the Andy Dick show back on the air, I think it would help. If you're an Andy Dick fan, it would probably help him out. Cause yeah, they'll get it up there on, on Netflix or Hulu Somewhere, or yeah. yeah. They're bringing all these shows back. But, you know, I think, you know, one, someday Andy wakes up and he wants to do a movie or a TV show, and then other days he's like, I'm done. But I can imagine it's kind of like a, a boxer coming out of retirement or an Olympic swimmer, you know? You know you, you've had these great runs with everything and you know what it takes to get there again. And you're like, can I just enjoy life for a little while? <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I don't know exactly where he's at. I guess it'll depend on what offers come his way and um, we'll see what happens. I don't know. Well, I was curious if you could share something that we may not know about Andy Dick because you know, there's so much out there in the press about him, but there's also a, a different side of him, which you know you go into in the film, but what is something that would really surprise people about him? I don't know if there's anything that people don't know about him. <laughs> I really don't think there is. Well, you, I, mean, well, I mean, you were saying before that sort of he embraces, you know, a certain persona that the media makes him out to be, mm-hmm. but there's like sort of a, a real him. Is there a separation between the Andy Dick we see in the press and the Andy oh. Dick behind closed doors, if that makes sense? Yeah, there's a, I mean, you know, he's, he's a dad and he's a family man and he would do anything for his kids and he's really sensitive. You wouldn't think he'd be very sensitive. You wouldn't think you could hurt his feelings. You know, he's just, um, he, yeah, I mean, I, and all I know, here's one thing that never actually made the movie. Andy, he doesn't lie about anything. Like, as, uh, as crazy as this guy is, he, he just won't lie about anything. I remember when I lived with him, and, and uh, it was Easter, and I was telling the kids, I'm like, Easter Bunny's coming tomorrow, and Andy goes, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> I'm like, what? He goes, why are you lying to my kids? I'm like, what is going on here? He said, there's no Easter Bunny. I don't want my kids to grow up and then, you know, like think I was lying to them that a bunny laid colored eggs for the rising of Christ. And then they, they get to an age and they find out the Easter Bunny's not real and then I'm the bad guy. I'm the lie. They'll never trust me again. And he's like, there's no Easter Bunny. 
And like the kids too. I'm like, oh, that's so sad to me. <laughs> Just lie to them. They'll have a better childhood. <laughs> but he's like, no, he didn't. And I guess even with Santa Claus, you know, I know it sounds kind of silly, but he, he's the most honest guy I've ever met in my life. And I don't think he, he, I mean, he may lie to himself until he catches himself and then, then he faces it. But that's kind of shocking that he, he's very self-aware and he'll call himself out on something long before anybody else will. Mm. I, I mean, everybody's got a story they won't tell, too. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> There's a bunch of stories where you're like, no, nah, I don't think I want to tell that one. I'll leave it up to him. But he'll tell it. You can listen to any podcast he's ever been on. He'll tell you he's been adop- you know, he was adopted. He'll tell you he was all these, these yeah. broke. Because when I, when I listen to his podcast or I see him perform and he's being so honest about himself, it's like you're watching that and you go, is this like a performance piece or is he like really like digging into who he is and revealing himself but from what you're saying he is really revealing himself yeah he's he's pretty clear about um about that path in his life he he's an open book and you know his synapses fire very quickly and he reacts to things that's what makes him such a great actor is that he's actually really listening to you when you're talking to him and he's He's responding in a truth from a truthful place, and he does that all day long. It's got to be exhausting. Yeah, I mean, you see him in any movie like the uh, the Todd Phillips movies he did, where he had uh-huh. cameos. I mean, just steals the scenes. He makes such interesting choices when he's responding to what's happening. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've never once watched an Andy Dick performance and been bored. Never. It's just always fascinating. And what are some upcoming screenings of the film? Montreal, um, July 26th, and um, there'll be one in L.A. again. I'll, I'll probably put it on the website. Um, it's everybodyhasanandydickstory.com, and there's a place so you can like you can click on it if you have a story, and you can send it if you want to. <laughs> um, there's, a, there's a donate button on there because it's expensive to go to festivals, so if anybody wants to help support that, they can, you know... Whatever, even the smallest amount that they give, they get entered into a drawing to win tickets to the next screening and the next after party. Um, you know, if you're in LA, it'll be the LA one. If you're in Chicago or Portland, I've, I've, or if you're even if you're in Montreal and you want to go, if you will be, do, be doing a drawing like every two weeks to uh, so people can win tickets. But there are 13 festivals left that I've submitted to. Oh, that I've accepted the film? Or? Um, that I'm waiting to hear. Because okay. I, I submitted like the early submissions so that I could pay the least fee. And then some of them you have to wait like six, eight months to find out if you got in. So Doc NYC, I'm still waiting to hear. Um, Bend, uh, in the Bend Film Festival in Oregon. I'm waiting to hear from that one. Rain Dance in London. There's a couple in, in England, actually, because the production company uh, is from England. That's where all the money came from to finish this thing. And um, where else? Got turned down by like a lot of the gay festivals. I was very surprised by that. I'm like, you would think that they would want this, but they're like, no thanks. (laughs) (laughs) I think we may have talked about this before, but what are some of the benefits for a filmmaker and a film going to a festival? Um, I think... You know, it's a way that people can hear about it and then go actually watch it. And then it can get reviewed that way. And, you know, it's won a couple of awards here and there. So then it picks up, you know, it shows that people are interested in it. And it just picks up momentum for the film. Mm -hmm. 
And then once you got into one festival, if it's a respectable festival, then somebody's like, oh, well, if it won an award in one festival, maybe we should look at it. So it's constantly updating them, saying, oh, we just got into this one, we just award, we got an award here. And, and then as the little laurels start coming on the poster, it's really fun, because then you're like, oh, that doesn't suck after all. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, the, the goal is, I don't know, is it going to be Showtime? Is it going to be HBO? Is it going to be Netflix or Amazon? So right now you're out there looking for distribution. Yeah, I've got someone who's walking me into a few of these places um, that loves the film. That really helps. And they're, people are getting on board. It, it takes a while. I, didn't, yeah. I thought it would happen. You have happen. to have a sales agent or somebody attached, and they have to start shopping it around. It's a whole process. Yeah, I think... I think, you know, I, I went to a publicist and she was going to refer me to some sales agents and it just, you know, like a lot of things in LA, it just didn't happen. But organically, somebody else pops up like Bob Hawk. I don't know if you know who Bob Oh, yeah. Yeah. He used to run Sunday. He had a position at Sundance yeah. I think, at one time. Yeah. And he's the one that helped Kevin Smith get clerks into Harvey Weinstein. So he was at the Harlem Festival wow. and he got on board and said, I'm going to help you with all of these things and he has and um you know joel gallon has a few people that he knows and so i mean everybody's kind of acting as a sales agent in a way just because they want to see this see the light of day and if that's not the traditional route of like going and hiring someone to do it because i've tried i've tried to do that but it just comes so organically from people who have a lot of clout who are really interested in, in making yeah. it happen. Well, I think in the long run, that's the better way to do it. You find someone who's passionate about the film reaches out yeah. to you. and Yeah, and that's what's going on. People are still helping, and people love Andy, so I kind of feel like it's happening. You know, I'm just making the calls, and people are keep saying yes, and, uh, you know, a year from now, it's going to be somewhere, and the next ones will be being edited, and Hopefully it's a docu-series that's international because there's people like this in every country. Like I know four people in England and three people in Australia and like one person in India that the, these could be done about, you know, on this kind yeah, of a format. It's a format that could really carry over. Yeah. And it's about people who are alive, you know, for the most, so they can, I've never really liked it when like the Amy Winehouse documentary or the Chris Farley one. I think it's great that people love these people and they want to honor them by doing a documentary but that person's not here to defend themselves anymore they can't sit in the movie theater and go that's not true that didn't happen they can't have the last word and i think that you know i think people should have the last word on their lives and i don't see many documentaries that are uplifting and like talking about great things about somebody i just every documentary that i watch i'm like oh i need to go <laughs> because it depresses me. I'm kind of sensitive to those things, and I want, you know, happy endings everywhere. And documentaries about people that died and how sad it was and how tragic it was, it just it kind of kills me a little bit, you know? Yeah. I well, know. I mean, this is it's a fun movie. You know, you, you go into sort of the deeper realms about who Andy is and his personality, but it's, you know, at the end of it, it's really just a fun film. Yeah, it's fun, and it's celebrating someone's life. It's kind of like this is your life meets the Comedy Central roast and it's celebrating someone rather than taking them down. I kind of think we need a lot of that right now. These are all going to be about very controversial people who have an image in the press that other people don't know the other side. And um, I think it's 
we're all three-dimensional, right? Yeah. So I figured that road's open. I'm going down it. Yeah. I like <laughs> the concept. You know, I think it, it brings a, a new you. side of Andy out to the world that may not really mm-hmm. be aware of. Yeah, and then and he gets to be a part of it, you know? And this this is tricky. I mean, I think once other people see this movie, they won't mind so much if they happen to find out during the process that it's being done about them. <laughs> <laughs> They'll be flattered by it. Maybe. I mean, Andy was eventually. I don't know how I'm going to be able to keep it a secret from everybody as well as I did Andy, but I couldn't believe how lucky I got. I couldn't believe how everyone kept their word and promised they wouldn't tell him and... It just was a perfect storm of gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for taking the time uh, to talk Thank today. you for having me. I and appreciate I, it. I appreciate it. It was fun. Thanks for listening to the Road to Cinema podcast. And remember, you can learn more about director Kathy Carlson's film, Everybody Has an Andy Dick Story, at everybodyhasanandydickstory.com. We'll see you next time.